0: welcome to the complete leader podcast giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. now here's your host dale dixon
1: you do it a thousand times a day the question is how well we're looking at decisions on this edition of the complete leader podcast everything you need to be a high performing leader i'm your host dale dixon alongside ron price each and every week we dive into one core competency that's laid out in the book, The Complete Leader. Obviously, this podcast stands alone. You can listen each and every week to grow your leadership skills. Also, if you're reading through the book, this is a great companion to get a little extra clarity and dive deeper into each of the topics that are laid out by the authors Ron Price and Randy Lisk in The Complete Leader. Ron, great to be with you today.
0: Good to be with you, Dale, and I appreciate you mentioning that this runs parallel with the book because we intentionally talk about things that are not in the book in our podcast, so they really do fit with each other hand in glove.
1: Absolutely. So if you have not listened to the most recent episode of the podcast, uh, we started the process of talking about decision making. And if you are following along in the book, that would be core competency 1.7 decision making. So we started the process last week. Give us a quick uh, overview of what we talked about, Ron.
0: Well, we talked about the three different things or components of developing decision-making as a skill. The first is the more good data we get before making decisions, it's going to improve our skill as a decision-maker. But oftentimes, most of the time, data is not enough. So then we talked about intuition and how we can develop our intuition. I I think of intuition and judgment as being sometimes synonymous with each other. And I think of a conversation that I had with Charlie Tremendous Jones, who was my mentor for many years. He said, Ron, the key to success in leadership is good judgment. And I said, Charlie, how do you get good judgment? He said, the key to good judgment is experience. I said, Charlie, how do you get experience? He said, Bad judgment. (laughs) (laughs) So we often develop our intuition through accumulating these experiences with things that worked or didn't work. So we have data, then we have intuition. And the third thing that we talked about in our last podcast is how important it is for us to put our decision making into context. What's the significance of this decision? What's the long-term impact? Who else is it going to impact? And it's when we combine data, intuition, and context that we begin to become better and better decision makers.
1: Fantastic, so as leaders, we're making decisions that impact our teams, our organizations on a daily basis. Let's talk about this today. Dale, I love to
0: teach leaders this idea that there is a continuum of decision making styles. So there are different approaches to decision making inside your organization. And there, there is never just one style that works in every circumstance. So I've broken it down, although it's much more nuanced than this, but I've broken it down to four basic decision-making styles that we see leaders use in their organization. The first one I would describe as the dictatorial decision-maker. That's somebody who essentially says, hear and obey. (laughs) I'm telling you what to do, you just do it. And often it's the best style of decision-making in the midst of a crisis. I remember that uh, I, I came into a leadership role in a company many, many years ago. And the third day that I was in that position at the company, the Food and Drug Administration shut us down. And I was on TV that night explaining to the press what had happened and why I thought they'd made a mistake and how we were going to go forward. You don't have time to put together a team and study it and go collect a lot of data at that point. I had to move quickly and it really had to be more of a dictatorial decision-making approach there. Interestingly, what was happening was this was before new laws were passed that allowed you to make specific claims for foods being able to improve your well-being. And the FDA was taking issue with the food that we were importing from Japan and identifying specific studies that had indicated that this was good for cardiovascular health. And eventually, we. There was a new law that was passed through Congress. We had the opportunity to be a part of influencing that. And eventually, we came to terms. We made peace with the FDA. But the point is, in the midst of a crisis like that, where somebody's put your business at risk, you often have to be a dictatorial decision maker. You need to just ask the people who are following you to get up in formation and to follow so that you can respond to something quickly. So the advantage of that when you get into those circumstances is the dictatorial decision-making style provides great clarity of direction. There is no fuzziness about what we should do because people just need to do what you're asking them to do. But of course, there's a disadvantage to that style as well. And the disadvantage is that decision-making becomes too much top-down. And it tends to drive away other leaders. A lot of people say, oh, I don't want to work at this company or work in this organization for the rest of my life if, everybody, if, if our top guy is always making all the decisions or top gal. And it tends to retard the development of decision-making skills across the organization. So I, I tend to think that this is a, a rare but sometimes important decision-making style that you might approach. The second Decision-making style that we talk about is what we call authoritative decision-making. And this is where I might go to my executive team if I'm the owner of a company or the leader of a company, or I might go to the team that I'm leading and say, this is what I think we should do. Tell me where I'm missing something. Tell me if I'm wrong. And often this is the best style for making final decisions around strategy. The big questions of what we're going to become and what direction we're going as an organization. Because oftentimes the leader at the top, whether it's the top of a team or an organization, they see things from their vantage point that are hard for other people to see. So the advantage of this is that it helps to advance the leader's vision with clarity but it still creates some room for people to respond and say, wait a minute, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Or in other words, to be able to point out that the leader may have a blind spot that could make this a less than perfect decision going forward. The disadvantage of this approach where I set the course, I say this is the direction we're going. The disadvantage is that I do have blind spots. And not everybody in the organization may find the strength or the courage to tell me that uh, the emperor has no clothes, so to speak. So, this is still a fairly authoritative approach to, to decision making, but it begins to open the door for other people to correct or add more information, more data, or to challenge some of our intuition around decision making.
1: That uh, <laughs> reminds me of a story I just heard, um, and I'm missing the names, but the CEO, uh, former CEO of. The Home Depot was told the story as he was being mentored by Jack Welch, the uh, infamous CEO of of General Electric. And Jack said, "I surround. I don't pay people to tell me I'm right. Meaning, he wanted to surround himself with people who would challenge faulty thinking and and open his eyes to the blind spots." So it takes some relationship building. There, we've got a number of podcasts to go back and listen to about the idea of how to actually foster a team. But once again, you got to be intentional about that.
0: Yes, you do. And and a good leader recognizes that no matter how much I want people to speak up, if they see I'm doing heading down a wrong path or I'm about to make a decision that's counterproductive, we have to recognize that for some people, that's easy for them to Challenge your thinking for some people, it's extremely difficult because of their own natural style or their own operating system. So, I, I run into leaders a lot of time who say, Look, it, we should be transparent, you should tell me if you disagree. They don't understand what's going on inside the heads of some of their subordinates who find it extremely difficult and they need a lot of nurturing and a lot of encouragement. To point out that they see some error in a decision that's about to be made. So this is why authoritative decision-making is probably good for big questions. It's probably good for things like strategy and direction and where we're going, but it's Not so good of a decision-making style when it comes to -to day-to-day getting things done, implementing the plan. So that brings us to the third third decision-making style, and that's consultative decision-making. So this is different from authoritative. With authoritative, I say, this is where I think we should go. You guys tell me if I'm missing something. Consultative is saying, this is the issue that I think we're facing. You go do the research. You come back to me with recommendations and I'm still going to have to endorse the final decision, but I'm giving you a lot of power because I'm letting you frame the conversation. I'm letting you collect the data. I'm letting you come back to me with analysis. We, we often refer to this as bar S-B-A-R, which is representing, first of all, you're gonna come back to me and describe the situation then you're going to tell me the background of that situation, then you're going to give me your analysis, and finally you're going to give me your recommended, your recommended solutions or your recommendations for what we ought to do. When you think about it, Dale, this is usually the primary decision-making style that's used by most presidents of the United States. That They're not going to be well enough informed they don't have the time to collect the data for the myriad of decisions that they have to make so they depend on their cabinet members they depend on their advisors to go put together context to come back to them with, this is the situation, this is the background, this is the data that I looked at, this is my analysis of what should happen, these are my recommendations, yet still it's the president who makes that decision. It's the president having been served by those advisors that then has to come back and endorse, this is what we're going to do. So the advantage of this consultative decision-making process is that it gives more power to people closer to the actual problem or opportunity so that they can influence the conversation. And there's less intuition involved. It brings in more data in making decisions. And yet still the leader is going to have to exercise some intuition, but it's informed intuition based on the analysis that's been done. It helps to develop the skills of the people who you are surrounding yourself with when you give them this opportunity to be more influential. But of course, the disadvantage of this kind of uh, decision-making style is that sometimes these folks could be missing part of the big picture, or they may come back to you and they've got competing interests and they're using this power that you've given them to protect their own personal agendas or their own self-interest. So the leader who uses this decision-making style has to be discerning of whether or not this person's connecting their analysis and recommendations to the big picture or whether they're becoming parochial by just wanting to advance what their particular interests are. And then, of course, that leads us to the fourth decision-making style in this continuum. So you can see we started with somebody who's dictatorial, then authoritative, then consultative. The fourth style is participative decision-making. And this is where we actually give away the authority to somebody else or to some other group to make the decision. And Uh, Telling them ahead of time that as long as they make it within certain parameters, they're going to have our support So the idea behind this decision-making style is here are the boundaries. It may be budget It may be timing it whatever those boundaries are that we create But they're broad enough so that now the people that we're giving this to can make decisions and just let us know where they need us to support them. So practically an example of this would be years ago, um, I was running a, a fairly large company and I, f- I, I felt in order to demonstrate my care and concern for our employees, I took a big hand in preparing our holiday parties, in planning out our holiday parties. I began to realize this is probably not a place where I should be so authoritative in my decision-making or even consultative. So I, I asked... The employee population to put together a team of people who were going to be responsible for our holiday parties. I gave that team a budget. I gave them a few simple rules that uh, fit in with our values and our policies as a company. And then I said, You guys go for it. And if there's something you want me to do, you come back and tell me, but it's yours. You have the authority, you have the responsibility to make this happen. And of course, that's a simple example of it. And the reality is they didn't ask me to do anything except for hand out bonus checks. (laughs) (laughs) So the advantage of this decision-making style, which is very, very participative, is that you get great buy-in from the people that you give this authority to. And they begin to see that they're responsible for the results. There's a pride of ownership. There's a level of accountability and creativity. And they're going to come up with things you never would have thought of because you gave them this decision-making authority. Of course, the the disadvantage can be that it can contribute to chaos (laughs) or a lack of clarity or there may be wasted resources. So I've worked with some companies that really emphasize this participative decision-making approach. And it's very engaging. Their people feel very empowered, but oftentimes they also feel confused if you depend on this too much of the time. So you can see, Dale, what I'm talking about is that there's this whole spectrum of decision-making styles from being very dictatorial all the way to very participative And if you as a leader learn how to move back and forth between those styles and recognize their value in different circumstances, you're developing your skills as a decision maker. And my personal approach in the organizations I've run is that the two extremes shouldn't be used that often, dictatorial and participative. There are places to use them. But the majority of decision making in the organization should happen in the middle between the authoritative related to strategy and the consultative which is more related to operations or implementation or tactics
1: as i heard you tell the story about the the party committee i i thought you set the guardrails in place very clearly which is really important in that you just didn't tell a group hey go plan our christmas party but you gave them parameters and yes. specific guardrails through that process, which is important. So as I listen to you go through those four different decision-making processes, I think to myself, it's important not to get pigeonholed. This is not where a leader says, okay, I'm going to choose this one and stick to it. This is an opportunity going back to our first podcast about context. And each of these decision-making processes requires context. And we should, as leaders, be adept at dipping into each of the four when it's when it is appropriate. So what are some of the key questions that we should ask to know which style to use at which time?
0: Well, I'm going to take a step back and just remind our listeners that first of all, we're talking about decision making, not as an action, but as a skill. So what do I mean by that? Well, and we're all decision makers. As, As we've talked about, Dale, we make At least a 1,000 decisions a day. Do I take this call or do I let it go to voicemail? What am I going to work on next? What am I going to have for lunch? We're all making decisions constantly. And you can keep making decisions. But to develop decision-making as a leadership skill, you have to step back and become more thoughtful become more intentional and more aware of different approaches to decision making. And for us, I think that begins by recognizing that we all have a certain comfort zone that we've created based on our unique operating system. So the first question to ask is, is what is my comfort zone and how can I expand it incrementally to broaden my decision-making skills. So do I tend to be more data-driven and more cautious and deliberate? Do I tend to be more intuitive and I just make a decision and go forward and I'm willing to change it if it turns out it's not right? So it begins by understanding what your natural decision-making style is. And then from there, I think there's some other questions that can really help us in developing this as, as a skill. So the first one is, what is the right window of time for making this decision. It's not that a decision needs to be made at exactly 5.45 p.m. on this day. Well, there may be a deadline occasionally for something like that around an agreement or something, but usually there's a window of time. So if I make the decision this week, it's going to have a greater chance of being a good decision. If I wait a year, it's already a bad decision because I didn't make it in the right time. So every decision has this right timing, and as you become more aware of the, t- the right window of time for making a decision, you're developing it as a skill. Number two, we've already referred to this, how much data will I need to make a good decision, and where am I going to get this data from? My wife's given me permission to tell this story, but we were. my wife is a very thoughtful, deliberate, careful decision-maker. We were in Seattle. We were going to go out to dinner, and I said, you know, tonight, honey, you decide where you want to go, and I'm going to adapt to you because I tend to be a quick decision-maker, very intuitive, especially around food. It's like, okay, breakfast is coming soon. (laughs) If dinner doesn't work out, it's no big deal. She's not that way. She wants to make it the perfect dinner, so we went to the concierge, of the hotel we were staying at and I started the conversation by saying, hey, do you have any recommendations for where we could go to dinner? Thinking that the concierge would mention two or three or four different restaurants and my wife would think about the cuisine and she'd make a decision and we'd be off on our way. Well, then I, he, he, the concierge did mention two or three or four restaurants and I looked to my wife for her decision and she looked back at the concierge and said, do you have menus for those restaurants? And sure enough, he did. So he went back into the office and came back with menus. And I stood there for, truth be told, 45 minutes while my wife looked through all those menus and asked what other menus he had. (laughs) And at this point, I'm thinking, why in the world did I make a commitment to let her decide where we're going to eat tonight? (laughs) Well, she wants every meal to be as close to perfect as possible it's it's her values which are different than mine when it comes to that so it's how much data do I need to make a good decision and where am I going to get this data from I'm poking a little bit of fun at her although I have to tell you I value her approach to food because I've enjoyed food in a way I never would have had it not been for our relationship so that's question two how much data question three is what role should intuition play In making this this decision. And as we talked about in the previous podcast, some decisions you're going to have to depend on intuition a lot more because they're decisions that are more disruptive or innovative or creative. And so you're going to have to be willing to take what we often refer to as educated guesses and be willing to adapt as you go. So, question three is, what role should intuition play? Question four, who's the right person to make this decision? That really plays to our earlier conversation about decision-making styles. The leader who thinks, I'm the right person to make every decision, is a leader who may have a lot of followers, but won't have too many other leaders walking along with her or him. So, who's the right person to make this decision, and Can I give it to them and endorse them and support them in making it? And then the last question is, if I delegate this decision to somebody else, am I still ready to take responsibility for the outcomes? Because we can delegate decision-making away, but often in our organizations, that doesn't mean that we can delegate away the responsibility for the result. We're still accountable. I have a, a leader I'm working with right now of a pretty large organization. And he's quite frustrated with his second-tier leaders right now because they're just not thinking the way he would like them to think. And my question to him is, what, kind, what, what degree of responsibility do you carry for the dissatisfaction that you're experiencing in the, or, in the organization right now? He can delegate away decision-making, but he can't delegate away the, result, the, the responsibility for the outcome or for the results. And so we've been having this conversation about sometimes when we give people decision-making authority and then we're not happy with the way they make those decisions, what, what is our role in that? Did we, did we make sure they had the right data, the intuition? Did we, are we make sure that we're giving it to the right person? Have we given them the right context, the right boundaries and frameworks in order to make those decisions? So these questions can help you to become a better and better decision-maker over time.
1: That last one, if I delegate the decision to someone else, am I still ready to take responsibility for the outcome? That one, that one strikes deep. Um, But let's, let's talk about why these questions, all of them in totality are so important.
0: Well, it's, It's because, to some extent, we're all blinded by our own operating system, our our own comfort zone around how we do decision-making. And again, we're not talking about just the action. We're talking about developing a greater skill as a decision-maker. So these questions help us to expand our operating system or to upgrade our operating system and to do a better job making decisions based on the things that we've talked about.
1: So let's, let's wrap this up, and I'm going to ask you to give us a summary. We've had two in-depth podcasts now on the idea of decision-making as a skill. How do you put it all together for us? Well,
0: thinking about it being a skill, which I always define as a learned capability, not a natural capability, but something that we intentionally learn. We began by talking about the three components, which include data, intuition, and context. And then today, we've talked about four distinctly different decision-making styles. Are we more of a dictatorial decision-maker, where we ask people to hear and obey? Are we more of an authoritative, where we say, this is where we're going. You guys tell me if you think I've missed something. Consultative, where we give other people the opportunity to frame the conversation and the decision-making process, even though we still hold the authority for making the final decision? Or are we more participative where we give away the authority and let other people make the decision? Where is our comfort zone and how can we grow our comfort zone to take into account all four of those decision-making styles based on the circumstances that we face? And then we finish by asking fundamental questions. What's the right time frame? How much data do I need? How much tuition? How much should I depend on intuition? Who's the right person? And am I willing to give them the authority but still hold on to the responsibility for the outcomes? So, this is all great, and I just want to remind our listeners of that one model that you can use that will help you to share decision-making more with other people. We call it SBAR. What's the situation? What's the background? What's your analysis? And what's your recommendation? Where you can help develop decision-making skills in the people that you work with as well.
1: Fantastic. Decision-making on our journey to becoming a complete leader. Any final words of advice for us, Ron?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of Peter Drucker who Many people call the father of modern management. He said years ago that one of the most important leadership lessons he learned throughout his career was to write down the decisions that he made and then to put it on his calendar to go back and review those decisions in 12 months. He said he learned more about himself, more about improving his decision making. And more about leadership by going back and reviewing the decisions he made and what happened as a result of making those decisions. So I'd like to leave our listeners with that idea. What can you learn about your decision making by writing down your decisions, coming back at a future date and evaluating what happened as a result of those decisions that you'd made?
1: Mm, Powerful. And a very simple but profound tool for us to use as leaders. Thank you so much, Ron Price, co-author uh, with Randy Lisk of The Complete Leader of the Book. Each and every week, this podcast dives into one of the core competencies Laid out in that book, Uh, definitely the podcast stands alone, but we encourage you to use it in parallel as you work to become a high-performing leader. If you do us a quick favor, rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast listening app, we'd be most grateful. We hope we have earned a five-star rating from you today. And... While you're out and about, be sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you get the latest episode delivered to you each and every week. And be sure to check out thecompleteleader.org. One word, thecompleteleader.org for a complete list of resources around The Complete Leader. This is The Complete Leader Podcast. Everything you need to become a high-performing leader.
0: Thanks for listening to The Complete Leader Podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.